Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I'm Christian. You know what Christy Matthewson wor- wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's, it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball Tuesdays and Thursdays. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, we are just about done with the history series. It doesn't feel real. We've already revealed the last player. Tonight, we're going to reveal the last team, but tonight... We have the 2003 Florida Marlins. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a team. It's one of those two that the Marlins had, and you know, I didn't realize what a comeback story they actually had. It really was. I mean, they went through quite a bit. We'll get into it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm su- I'm surprised there weren't more comps to this team and the 2019, 2019. Nationals. Yeah. Because it was right around the same time in the season when their low point was. Yeah, you know, Nationals started 19 and 31. Marlins kind of had a similar start as well. They were, yeah, we'll get into it, but I know exactly what their lowest record was. But yeah, we will uh, We'll start out with the context of these 2003 Florida Marlins. So as you can imagine, they had not made the playoffs since 1997, the lone year where they made the playoffs and they also happened to have won the World Series. But in 2002, they finished 79 and 83, uh, which is not bad. They were fourth in the NL East, though. So there was obviously three teams ahead of them. And on top of that, uh, their first baseman, Kevin Millar, had left for the Red Sox before the 2003 season. And uh, the Marlins did some work over the offseason. They traded four players to the Colorado Rockies to get Mike Hampton and Juan Pierre. And two days later, they traded Mike Hampton again to the Braves. So, uh, Long live Mike Hampton's Marlins career. It lasted all of two days. They also signed future Hall of Famer Yvonne Rodriguez, Pudge Rodriguez, as a free agent. And uh, despite this, they they really didn't have expectations, Chris. I mean, there was, you know, they were just doing some housekeeping moves to throw Pierre in there, to throw Pudge in there late later in his career, you know. But this team, they were not supposed to go anywhere, especially with the Braves being in their division. They were you know, going to get the wild card spot at best. And they just about tread water at the start of the season. The Marlins had a very, very mediocre start to the 2003 campaign, but they kept picking themselves up when they needed it. After starting the year two and six, they went on a four game win streak to get back to 500. And through the first 12 games of the 2003 season, the Marlins actually had one of the best offenses in the National League. They were second in the National League in average with a 294, fourth in on base percentage with a 361. Third in slugging with an eight for the 482, fourth in OPS with an 843, fourth in WOBA with a 361, third in weighted runs created plus with a 123, and second in F4 with 3.2. Those are all National League ranks for the team in their first 12 games of the 2003 season. And some of the biggest contributors, one of them was Pudge Rodriguez, undeniably a great player for this team so far. He slashed 324, 479, 649 for a 12 for an 1128, excuse me, OPS through the first 12 games. He had a 22.9% walk rate 
and 193 weighted runs created plus. He was excellent. And also their shortstop, Alex Gonzalez, was slashing 326, 396, 721, 11-17 for, for a 181 weighted runs created plus. And overall, the Marlins finished 14-15 and 15 in the month of April, fourth in the NL East, and four games back in the division. So now there's some falling out for the uh, Florida Marlins. Uh, the Marlins won their first game in May to get back to 500. Uh, but after that, they went 4-14 four and 14 in their next 18 games with two losing streaks of six games. And after a 5-4 to four loss to the Rockies to drop Florida to 16-22, and 22, manager Jeff Torborg was fired and replaced by Jack McKeon. Strangely enough, their pitching had a top five F war during this time, and they were also tied for the second best FIP in the league. And as for offense, they were averaging 3.3 runs per game, and they were last in the National League East, 13.5 games back uh, in that National League East with a 19 and 29 record. So obviously the season seemed to be over. So the Marlins are kind of in a loss year. And uh, you know what? It's t- They might as well bring up the youth because if they're not going to be competing this year, they're in a strange direction. Pudge Rodriguez is a free agent after this year. It's time to see what the future has in store for Florida. And on June 16th, the Marlins have been actually been playing a lot better. They were reaching the brink of 500. And to capitalize on this momentum, they had a 21-year-old starting pitching prospect break the mold. The pitch, and Burnett hits a one-hopper gathered in by Luis Castillo, thrown the first for the out. Willis with a 2-2 pitch. Bell swings, misses, strike three. John Trell Willis. And Chinjo, first ball hitting, pops one up, left center, not too deep. Banks is under it, wants it, he's got it. Two down in the ninth inning. And Dontrell Willis is now one out away. Dontrell, the 6'4", 21-year-old rookie, went to the back of the mound, back up on top of the hill. Animated as always. Here's the one and two. Swing, ground ball to the shortstop. Gonzalez has it, throws. There it is. Don Trell Willis with a one-hit shutout. He's beaten the New York Mets one to nothing. What a performance by this rookie left-handed. The Marlins pour out onto the field. And Don Trell Willis is excited as always and isn't Joyce excited out there in Oakland what a- D train Dontrell Willis with a complete game one hitter in his major league debut at just 21 years old absolutely impressive performance from the youngster there and just days later on June 20th in fact four days later the Marlins had a 20 year old prospect making his major league debut and in extra innings he gave a strong first impression to the city of Miami Pitcher not made the play. Hit the center. Ball Deli. Going back. Still going back. Out of here. Welcome to the big leagues. Two run. 
perhaps you've heard this name before, Miguel Cabrera with a walk-off home run in his major league debut. Chris, this was quite the week for the Marlins youth with a 21-year-old with a one-hitter and then a 20-year-old with a walk-off home run. Can you honestly name another time where two players came up on the same team and did something like that in their first appearance? Um, I mean, everyone was uh, was had their eyes Googled about when, uh, I think, what was it? Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin went back to back. That's true, but I mean, that this, was that was just was one random home remarkable. run. We're talking a one hitter and a walk off home run. This was much more remarkable than yeah. uh, than that. Like of those magnitudes, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. So by June twenty fourth, the Marlins were actually five hundred again. Just just a month before, they were in the cellar, ten games under, and now they're now they're back in it all of a sudden. And everyone remembers the game in 2003 where the Red Sox scored 14 runs against the Marlins in the very first inning of the game. And the next day, the Red Sox were actually winning 9-2 to in the eighth inning and had a 100% win probability. Uh, but in the eighth, Pudge Rodriguez hit an RBI single and Juan Encarnacion later hit a three-run homer. It was 9-6 to Boston. And later in the ninth, Pudge hit another RBI single and Mike Lowell came up as the go-ahead run. Two out, two on. 9-7 Boston in the ninth. Brandon Lyon to the set. Checks the runners. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball to right center field. Deep way back goes Kapler to the warning track by the bullpen and it's gone. Into the bullpen. A three-run homer by Mike Lowell on an 0-2 pitch. And just like that, the Marlins lead it 10-9. A line drive. Kapler had no time to get back. So the Marlins make a miracle comeback. They score eight runs in the last two innings of the game and stun the Red Sox. But, you know, it isn't over yet because there's a bottom of the ninth inning. And in that bottom of the ninth, Johnny Damon came up as the game-winning run. Looper sets and delivers. Swing and a line drive, center field, breaking in. Juan Pierre, he has it. Here's the throw to second base, and this double play will end the game. There it is as Alex Gonzalez takes the throw and steps on the bag, and the runner, Baratek, is all the way over at third. A line drive to center fielder Juan Pierre. The throw to the shortstop, Alex Gonzalez for the double play, and the Marlins come back to win on the back of Mike Lowell. 10 to 9 over the Red Sox. So the Marlins with probably the without a doubt the game of the year to that point, and a stunning comeback win against the Red Sox, the stylish play by Juan Pierre to end the game. Chris, this team was going. Uh yeah, absolutely. And the Marlins ended up going 16 and 11 through the month of June. Overall, they were 42 and 42 on the year, still fourth in the NLE. So there was still ground to make up, but they were well on their way. So clearly the Marlins had some momentum going into the all-star break and they opened the month of July with a 20 to one route of the Atlanta Braves, kind of a reverse of what we saw this past year. Uh, this was the only game in Florida Marlins history with 20 runs scored in a game. How about that? And the pitcher for the Braves in that game, da da da, da was Mike Hampton, who they had traded 
who was a member for the Marlins for two days, whom they uh, had traded. Can I and, just can I just throw out a take right now? Yeah. I think that game on an individual basis proves that trade to have been the best in Florida Marlins history. Uh, yeah, probably. Like the, the trade bring in Hampton and Pierre. You get Pierre, who obviously spent a lot of years with the organization, uh, played his heart out, and then Hampton gives you the 20-run 20, 20 game. Yeah, it's it works out pretty perfectly. Uh, just how just how the Marlins drew it up, I guess. Yeah. And uh, after a sharp start to July, they finished they finished the first half 49 and 46, four and a half games out of, out of a wild card spot. Uh, Luis Castillo, the second baseman, Luis Castillo, Mike Lowell, and Dontrell Willis were all selected to represent the Marlins in the All Star game. Uh, Luis Castillo led all National League second basemen in F4 with 3.0. Mike Lowell led all National League third basemen in weighted runs created plus with 139. Wobo with a 389 and OPS with a 937. And Dontrell Willis led all National League pitchers in ERA with a 2.08 and FIP with a 2.50. Uh, and that is coming with a minimum of 60 innings pitched uh, in that in that uh in that span and in the all-star game mike lowell got one plate appearance and made the absolute most of it in that all-star game yeah taste was left in their mouths seeing their world championship team demolished that's down the right field line that ball is down fair it'll take a hop and it is a ground rule double with two out a runner at second and Loduka will come on and pinch hit. Here is Mike Lowell talking about his comeback battle with cancer. So Mike Lowell familiarly puts it the opposite way for extra bases. And now we are on to the second half. And it is full steam ahead out here in Florida. The Marlins went off in the second half as they won 10 of their first 13 games going through the month of July. And overall, they finished that month of July with a 17-7 and record. All of a sudden, they were 10 games up above 500. Just two months ago, they were 10 games below. They have completely flipped the script. They were just a game and a half out of the wildcard spot after sweeping the second-place Phillies, obviously in their division. And on July 27th, the Marlins and Phillies had been tied 6-6 to since the fourth inning. After Miguel Cabrera hit a one-out double in the ninth, Juan Pierre was looking to win it. Here's the pitch. Swing and a looping flare out into left field. That's going to drop for a hit. Cabrera round third, coming to the plate, the slide. He's in there, and the Marlins win it. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Juan Pierre delivers, and the Marlins win it 7-6, to six, and they pull off the sweep of the Phils, and they're out there on the field mobbing Juan Pierre. So Juan Pierre with a huge walk-off against the Phillies to put them right in the wild card spot, or at least in the race for it where they need to be. The Marlins starting pitching was their backbone through the month of July. They had a 2.97 ERA, a 3.36 FIP, and a 0.58 home runs per nine. That stat led the majors, and it wasn't even really close. And so let's talk about three of their pitchers that were dominant during the month. Dontrell Willis, of course we know about him. He was 2-1 during the month with a 2.94 ERA and an 829 Ks per nine. Also, Brad Penny was big for the month. 
He put up a three and two record, 2.83 ERA and 1.54 walks per nine. He was pounding the zone every time he was out there. And then Josh Beckett, who we'll learn plenty about uh, throughout the episode. He went three and one with a 2.52 ERA, 10.44 strikeouts per nine, and a 2.42 FIP, which led the National League. So now the Marlins are on a push for the playoffs. And the Marlins had an okay August going 14 and 14, but the Phillies went 13 and 16 uh, during that month. So they were tied for the National League wildcard spot going into September. And for the occasion, uh, the Marlins made a trade with the Orioles, uh, made a trade with the Orioles to bring Jeff Conine back to Florida. That is Mr. Marlin coming back. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, after winning their first two series of the month against the Pirates and the Expos, the Marlins swept a three-game set in the Big Apple against the Mets. The Marlins were a game up on the Phillies with 16 games to play. And on September 12th, the Marlins were down 4-2 to two to the division-leading Braves. And after the Marlins tied it in the eighth, Alex Gonzalez got hit by a pitch to begin the ninth. After he got to second on a bunt, Juan Pierre was up to the plate looking to capitalize. Pierre hits it fair, and the Marlins will win it! Oh, unbelievable! If he hits it to left, if he hits it to center, Alex probably doesn't score. So, JP. So, the Marlins' magic continues as Juan Pierre walks it off and after this game the Phillies began to really slide Philadelphia lost 10 of their of their last 16 games which left the door wide open for the Florida Marlins to take advantage of that wild card spot Urbina sets, delivers. Cedeno swings, fly ball, center field. Juan Pierre back. He is under it. He has it. And there it is. The Marlins pour out onto the field. And on this night of nights, September 26th, on a Friday night, the Marlins have clinched the 2003 National League wild card. They have beaten the New York Mets 4-3. Pandemonium on the field. So there you go. The Florida Marlins are making it back to the playoffs for the second time in franchise history. Uh, the Marlins ended up finishing that season with, with the record of 91 and 71. So before we get into the playoffs, we're going to take a look at what I call the fish out of water, the notable performers on this Marlins team. And whoever had uh, the National League MVP vote coming from Florida kind of probably went a little crazy because the Marlins had seven different players get MVP votes. But you know what? You could make a very fine case that all, all seven of them deserved it. We're going to start with Juan Pierre, who slashed 305, 361, 373 for a 734 OPS during the year. He led the league in games played with 162. That is one of five consecutive seasons where he played in all 162 games. He, had, he led the league in plate appearances with 747, 
at-bats with 688, and stolen bases with 65. It is the only season in baseball history with 740-plus plate appearances, 60-plus stolen bases, and less than 50 strikeouts. Juan Pierre with a very interesting season, one of many interesting seasons that he had, in fact. This got him 10th place in the MVP vote, better than any Marlin. And then right behind him was Mike Lowell, who slashed 276, 350, 530 for an 881 OPS. He had 32 home runs, 105 RBI, and 128 OPS plus. This got him 11th in the MVP vote. Luis Castillo, their second baseman, slashed 314, 381, 397 for a 778 OPS. He had 4.4 B war, 21 stolen bases, and fittingly enough for those 21 stolen bases, he got 21st in the MVP vote. Now we're going to talk about Pudge Rodriguez, who had a great season in his lone year in Florida. He slashed 297, 369, 474, 843 for a 4.5 BWAR, which is very impressive. He ended up 23rd in the MVP vote. And then we're going to talk about 20-year-old 20, 20 Miguel Cabrera. You've seen him in plenty of MVP races, but he was just getting started in 2003. He slashed 268, 325, 468 for 793 OPS as a 20-year-old. He had 12 home runs, 21 doubles, and he tied for 27th in the MVP vote, and he also got fifth in the Rookie of the Year vote. And then there's Derek Lee, who slashed 271, 379, 508, 888 for 131 OPS plus, 31 home runs, 92 RBI. He went way under the radar during the entire season. And he was also tied with Miguel Cabrera for 27th in the MVP vote. And lastly, we have Dontrell Willis, who was the National League Rookie of the Year. He went 14-6 and six during the year with a 330 ERA and just under the qualifying innings pitch. He had 160.2, 127 ERA plus that got him 34th in the MVP vote. And then some honorable mentions who didn't get the MVP recognition, Josh Beckett was excellent, even though he had a 9-8 and eight record, but we're going to ignore that because... He had a 3.04 ERA in 142 innings pitched and also a 2.94 FIP. Um, and he had and he had 9.6 strikeouts per nine and 138 weighted runs created plus. And also their closer, Braden Looper, was 28 and 34 in save opportunities throughout the year with a 3.68 ERA. But their best reliever was Ugeth Urbina. Who, who pitched 38 in the third innings, had a 141 ERA and a 301 ERA plus. And then Jack McKeon, their placeholder manager, ended up as the National League Manager of the Year. During his time with the club, he, they went 75 and 49 for the second best record in the majors through that time. The only, the only team ahead of them was ironically in their division, and it was the Braves, so they were just one game behind. But... It was time for the playoffs, and they were facing the Barry Bonds, San Francisco Giants, during Barry Bonds' uh, incredible four-year run of MVPs. So in game one, despite Josh Beckett's seven innings of one-run ball, the Marlins could not touch the Giants' Jason Smith, Schmidt as he walked away with a complete game shutout. The Marlins had three, only three hits in game one, and they only had two at-bats with runners in scoring position. So the Giants won this one handily, two to nothing. And in game two, uh, after each team traded runs in the first inning, the scoreboard stayed still for a while. And in the fourth, the Giants took a 4-1 lead after an Edgar Alf Edgardo Alfonso double 
and a Marquise Grissom ground out because Marquise Grissom just finds his way into every show, doesn't he? <laughs> the Giants' win probability was at 84% for this game, and they were, they were about to close out the series, or not close it out, but they were about to go up 2-0, and their win probability for the series as a whole was at 81%. So it was not looking good for the Florida Marlins. Looks like they were going to go out squeaking, not good. And in the top of the fifth, the Marlins struck back with three runs on RBIs from Juan Pierre, Luis Castillo, and Pudge Rodriguez. However, the Giants retook the lead in the bottom of the fifth on a JT Snow single. And then Juan Encarnacion came up for the Marlins in the sixth. State University of New York Thunderbolt and took them to the Division Three World Series. But Encarnacion sends it back, 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 back. And he's the pride of this game. We're tied again. I can't tell you how impressive this guy's been. We've, we've been fortunate when we've seen him coming down the stretch the last three weeks of the season. And he makes the big play with the glove. Nothing like a good Chris Berman home run call. Juan Encarnacion ties up the game for the Marlins, and after Jeff Conine, Alex Gonzalez, and Lenny Harris all singled in the same inning, mind you, the bases were loaded with one out for Juan Pierre. Three and it scored twice. Oh, he hits this down the line. Cruz got a long way to go. He stumbles. And it bounces up again. Up Florida Marlins are rolling here towards the plate. Cruz looked like he might have had a shot. He stumbled in the corner. And two runs have scored, and Florida has a 7-5 lead. So Pudge or for so Juan Pierre with a huge two-out or one-out hit, bringing in three runs, putting up the Marlins up, and they would go on to win game two, nine to six. Series was all tied up heading down to Florida. And now in game three, after Luis Castillo doubled with one out in the first, Pudge Rodriguez looked to build on that momentum. Sets the target. They're sitting in the pitch. Swinging along with the left. This one is way back, and it is gone. He came in, and Rodriguez hit it out. And it's 2-0 in favor of the Marlins. And Rodriguez lights up this crowd. If they were not in it. So Pudge Rodriguez with a line drive, two-run two home run in the first inning to get the game going. And on the mound, Mark Redman was dealing for the Marlins up until the sixth. The Giants tied the game in the sixth on RBIs from Jose Cruz and Pedro Felix. So it's a 2-2 ball game. In the seventh, the Giants put the leadoff man on for Rich Arilla. We're in the seventh, the man at first, and nobody out. The kick, the 0-2. Swing and a fly ball, pretty well hit left field. Conine towards the corner, Conine towards the wall. Leaping and he got it! What a grab by Jeff Conine. Fires it into Gonzalez. They try and double off Grissom. Throw gets away from Lee momentarily. Grissom is safe. But what a grab by Jeff Conan. Reaching up, banging into the fence, and might have taken a home run away from Rich Aurelia. 
So Jeff Conine with the incredible defense there coming from Mr. Marlin, robbing a home run and keeping the game at bay for the Marlins. Later in the inning, the Giants had runners on first and second with one out, so trouble was still looming. He got away with it in game two. He didn't get away with it in game one. There goes Grissom. Oh, they gambled again. Punch, and he just shot him right down. Wasn't the greatest of jumps by Grissom there. Oh, my goodness. The Giants get a gift with a runner in score. So, so Pudge Rodriguez with a bullet out of his right arm to nab Marquise Grissom. And the Marlins doing it all with the glove in that inning. Pudge doing it all in that game. We saw the home run earlier and then the throw to nab the runner. The game ended up going into extras. And in the 11th, the Giants took a 3-2 lead on an Edgardo Alfonso single. So the Marlins needed a rally. One for three and a walk. Stole a home run from Rich Aurelia. And now, what did we say when Tim Worrell came in? Rick Sutcliffe, you said so. Well, ball hit to right. Cruz by the line. He dropped it. He dropped it. He dropped the ball. Morrell had to throw 29 pitches in the last inning, 12 more than he needed because his defense let him down. His defense just let him down again to start this inning off. Just a little too nonchalant for me. And now Gonzalez has walked. So the Marlins, who had 11th inning magic in the last postseason in 97, looking for some tonight. Miguel Cabrera up, and then Pierre and Castillo. There's a bunt. Worrell on his knees makes the play to Perez covering. But now the tying and winning run are in scoring position. Because I really don't believe that they're going to be able to turn a double play with Castillo hitting. They're going to bring the infield in, but I, I don't know if they're going to try to go for two or try to try to get that runner at the play here. I don't I don't think they're going to be able to turn two. Up uh -oh. the middle, Worrell knocks it down, throws home, and they get the lead runner. Wow, goalie-like by Tim Worrell. This pitch in hand. If he lets it by him, it's tied. Yeah, it's tied. With the composure to pick it up and throw it to the plate. And then Torrey wow. Alba being composed too, knowing he's got wow. no chance going to second. What a play. What a play. What what an unbelievable ball game. <laughs> Here's Pudge Rodriguez, who's two-run homer in the first, put the Marlins in the lead.
down to their final strike in the 11th inning with the bases loaded. Pudge Rodriguez with all four RBIs, the game-winning hit. What a game for Pudge. What a game for the Florida Marlins to go up 2-1 to one in that series. Yeah, what a – and, I mean, kind of feel bad for that uh, for that pitcher. He's, he's, yeah. he, starts, he starts off the inning on an error, on an easy pop-out. He barehands a ball to save the game, and then, you know, he gives up two un, unearned runs to uh, – lose the game exactly tough Tough. um through this history series we've always found some forgotten classic postseason games this is probably top of the list like that was an incredible game from start to end yeah up there with the uh astros braves 18 Mm -hmm. inning game that was the game where chris burke hit the walk-off home run uh brad osmus at the game time home run in the very very similar eras yeah two years apart yeah same series as well Right, right. So the Marlins with a huge game three win, uh, that's really one that pushes the momentum, and they would try to prove so in game four. After the teams traded runs for the second, the Marlins were ready. In the third, Pudge Rodriguez came up with a runner on first. Went seven for 15. Castillo takes off, and that's a gap shot. And he does hit the whole way out there. Up against the fence, Castillo can crawl home and into second with a double. Pudge Rodriguez, his sixth RBI of the series, and the Marlins lead it 2-1. to one. All of you young hitters, write this down. Write down the date and the fact that you heard it from Tony Gwynn. On 2-0, and oh, Tony, you mentioned he took the shot. He tried to pull the ball out of the park. Now what happened? Now yeah, and then with two and one, he, he shortened his stroke and he hit the ball where it was pitched. This ball is out over the plate. It's elevated. And when you're trying to go the other way, that's the ball that you want to hit. You want that ball that's up and elevated. He did it again. He did it again last night. And this is a hit and run. So you don't want to you don't want to try to force it over there. You just want to hit the ball where it's pitched. And that might have been Jack McKeon forcing him to shorten up a little bit. Maybe so. Yeah, I didn't like that swing. Let's make him go to the opposite field. But we both know Pudge does that a lot. Chris, you know, there's very few things better than watching great postseason baseball. But listening to Tony Gwynn talk hitting, like, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Surely. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's like talk. It's like hearing Michelangelo talk about sculpting. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Because he wasn't, he from what I remember, he wasn't a broadcaster for all that long. So, you know, like all throughout the history series, we've heard plenty of, you know, Joe Morgan commentary because he did it for a long time. Tony yeah, Gwynn especially had in the a, 90s. Tony Gwynn had a brief stint in the booth. And uh, I don't, I can't remember another time on the history series he commentated a, te- a game that we covered. So I figured we would make sure to have at least one highlight where he, where we played out the audio of him talking. Right, right, right. So... Pudge Rodriguez with a gap shot to put the Marlins in front, and the next batter was Derek Lee. I mean, that's a that's a kid that gets it. Nobody out here. Instead of basing in the left, Rodriguez in the third. He's trying to score. Bobbled on the infield, and a run is in. Three to one. So Derek Lee with another big hit. The Marlins go up three to one on that one. And the next inning, Miguel Cabrera was up with the bases loaded and two outs. 
Broken bat. Looped into left. A hit. Willison. Here comes Pierre. Bonds throwing home. He dives. He's safe. Two-run score. Florida. The Marlins are just getting infinite hits in this game, seemingly with runners in scoring position. They're just not stopping. And that's what this team was, was very well known for uh, in that year. So it's five to one Florida. And in the top of the sixth, the wheels started to fall off for Dontrell Willis. The Giants had actually tied the game on RBIs from Ariela, Bonds, Alfonso, and Snow. So now it's a 5-5 game all of a sudden. The game went into the eighth, still tied. After Pudge Rodriguez and Derek Lee had both gotten on with two outs to start a rally, Miguel Cabrera looked to be the hero. Burgess did was throw fastballs on the outer half of the plate. Line right to the right, base hit. Rodriguez rounding third. Cruz throwing home and comes through. He's safe. He scores. Here comes another run. Lee trying to score. He's in standing up. They forgot all about him. Two runs home, 7-5, Florida. The Marlins with yet another clutch hit, another one coming from Miguel Cabrera, who tallied his fourth RBI in the game. The Marlins had a 7-5 lead going into the ninth inning. However, Ugeth Urbina was actually struggling. And after the tying run had reached first with the man already in, the Giants were staging a comeback and it ended up coming down to Jeffrey Hammonds with the tying run on second and two outs. With two outs and Hammond steps in, one out of three with a walk today. Urbina deals. A line drive out into left field, breaking in. Conine can't get to it. Up with it, the runners wave. Here's the throw to the plate. Pudge is waiting. He tags him, gets knocked over, holds on, and the Marlins win the game. What a play to end it. A bruising collision at home plate to end this as Jeff Conine throws out J.T. Snow at home plate. And it's the Marlins who have beaten the Giants 7-6, and they're headed to the National League Championship Series. So an unreal play at the plate by Pudge Rodriguez holding onto the ball after getting trucked sends the Marlins to the National League Championship Series. They take out Barry Bonds and the Giants. And Pudge Rodriguez, he made that play, but he was great all series. He slashed 353, 400, 588, 1038, with one home run, six RBI, and three walks. Luis Castillo also was great that series. He slashed 294, 400, 471, 871, with an RBI and three walks. And the team overall, as... As a staff, had a 3.65 ERA. And the Marlins were off to the National League Championship Series where they were facing the Chicago Cubs. So now they're facing the Cubs. And in game one, the game did not get off to the hottest of starts. The Cubs were up 4 to nothing after the first as Josh Beckett struggled. In the top of the third, Juan Pierre tripled and uh, Luis Castillo walked. This put, this put Pudge up with two on with two men on looking to capitalize. My mistake, there we go.
fourth best in the National League with runners in scoring position. During the division series, he was three of six. That ball hammered in a deep left center field, and Yvonne Rodriguez has made it a one-run game. Rodriguez now with nine runs batted in in four postseason games and two at-bats. Unbelievable postseason so far. Well, I think I think Yvonne Rodriguez changed his approach at the plate after Rothschild went to go talk to Zambrano. I think they so Pudge Rodriguez with a three-run homer to cut the lead down to only one. And two batters later, the tying run was up in the form of Miguel Cabrera. He's allowed three runs so far on the three-run home run here by Pudge Rodriguez. And that ball blistered into left center field, and Cabrera has tied the game. A three-run home run by Rodriguez, a game-tying solo shot from Miguel Cabrera. So much for Beckett's beating up the dugout bench. It's it worked. Tied up. It worked. And to me. So a couple of drives into deep left field to tie the game mm. for the Marlins. To put the fourth run on the board. Put the fourth run on the board and make it a four-to-four ball game rather than four to nothing. And then the next batter was Juan Encarnacion. For a called strike and looked fastball in. That ball hammered into left field, the third home run of the inning for the Florida Marlins. Unbelievable. And they lead five to four. Carlos Zambrano had not allowed two home runs in an inning. He had allowed nine home runs all season long in 214 innings. So now the Marlins are up five to four in game one after getting off to a bad start. And after the Marlins added to the lead in the sixth inning on a Jeff Conine sack fly, the Cubs tied it on a two-run home run by Alex Gonzalez. Not, you know, there wasn't a, an illegal trade going on. They had an Alex Gonzalez as well. Uh, so, and he tied the game for the Cubs. So the game went into the ninth tied 6-6. Six to six. And with one out, the Marlins had loaded the bases for Pudge Rodriguez, a guy you don't really want to load the bases for at this point. Lined in the right field, a base hit by Pudge Rodriguez. One run scores. Here comes Pierre. He will score. And Pudge Rodriguez delivers again for the Florida Marlins. What a fabulous postseason he is having. Five RBIs in the game tonight. 11 runs batted in in five postseason games. And that. So Pudge Rodriguez delivers for what seems like the infinite time uh, and makes it an eight to six ball game. Marlins are up eight to six. And in the bottom of the ninth with the tying run at the plate, it was on Uga Thurbina to close the game, to close the game out. 
Two outs, ninth inning. And the 1-1. Sammy drives one. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. I don't believe it. Sammy Sosa ties the game 8-8. Eight to eight. Well, Pat, we talked about the fact that Sosa hit the ball right on the screws last time up. This time, a no-doubter against Urbina, who for whatever reason, after throwing a bullet of a fastball by him, he threw him a slider, and Sammy hit it out of sight. What a game tonight. 8-8 eight to eight is now the score in the ninth inning between the Marlins and the Cubs. And it went into extra innings. And in the top of the 11th, Mike Lowell led off looking to get something started for the Florida Marlins. And it's filled up three and two to Mike Lowell. Nobody on, nobody out. We're in the 11th. 8-8. Eight, eight. They rise to their feet at Wrigley. The kick of the pitch. Swing and a fly ball center field. This is pretty well hit. Lofton at the track, Lofton at the wall, out of here! Home run center field for Mike Lowell! Into the batter's eye, Mike Lowell comes off the bench! And he's a hero tonight in the 11th, he's given the Marlins a 9-8 lead. Oh man, who's writing the script for this one? So the Marlins take the lead once again in this wild and wacky game. And the Marlins ended up holding on and winning by the score of 9-8. to eight. And then in Game 2, Marlins pitching took Florida out of the game early in this one. Uh, the Cubs were up 8 to nothing after the third inning as Brad Penny got absolutely tagged. And the Cubs ended up winning the game 12-3 to three to tie the series. So going to Florida in Game 3, after the Cubs had taken a 2 to nothing lead in the second, the Marlins, the Marlins' Alex Gonzalez came up in the bottom of the second and hit a double to cut the lead in half. The score stayed the same for a while, and in the bottom of the seventh, Luis Castillo tied the game, and the next batter was the guy that you didn't want to face at all, Pudge Rodriguez. Base hit right field, and Pudge Rodriguez has delivered again. So the Marlins take a 3-2 lead on a Rodriguez RBI single. And the Marlins had a lead, but it did not last unfortunately and as randall simon hit a pinch hit two run home run for the cubs in the top of the eighth to make it four to three chicago and in the bottom of the eighth todd hollinsworth came up as a pinch hitter for florida with a man on second and two outs Second, safe there. 4-4 game. 
So the Marlins come up in the clutch once again, tie the game four to four. And the game was tied once again and went to extras once again. And in the 11th, the Cubs had a runner on first with one out and the batter was Doug Glanville. Travel well. And the Cubs uh, take the lead five to four. And the Cubs ended up winning by that score five to four. And then on to game four, where Dontrell Willis had a tough day. He gave up a grand slam in the first to Aramis Ramirez and two more earned runs in the third inning. It was seven to nothing Chicago in the fourth. And the Cubs ended up winning eight to three giving them the 3-1 series lead. And then in game five, the Marlins were now facing elimination and a 3-1 series deficit. The season was in the hands of Josh Beckett. from the get-go we have seen Beckett feature a lot more than just the fastball here today oh, breaking ball strike three call that's big league fastball right there strike three he scored four runs he did on the place did settle down and pitch the way he's pitching right now back-to-back -back strikeouts here in the third four now in the game in a move that they made for Hunter he likes to throw 3-2 breaking balls. He does, and Sammy gone looking. There you got him with the same pitch. A little higher, a little further in. Fastball up and in, that's a seventh strikeout. Ball strike three called and good one knew it. Eighth strike out of the game. Oh and two on Ramirez. Back in the pause and the pitch. Breaking ball strike three call. Ninth of the game for Beckett. He's trying to spin the ball, turn it over, and you can really push it towards the hitter. Ten strikeouts now in the game for Josh Beckett. It's not changing. 11 strikeouts, which ties a season high this year by Beckett. Tapper to short. Cub fans have waited 58 years to get to the World Series. They will wait 48 more hours to have a chance again. 
Josh Beckett denies the Cubs a chance to win it here in South Florida with just simply an electrifying game five performance. So Josh Beckett absolutely saves the Marlins season uh, and the Marlins scored on scored via home runs from Jeff Conine, Mike Lowell and Pudge Rodriguez. And the Marlins won by the score of four nothing, as you saw right there. And this game, uh, back now the series is headed back to Chicago. And in Game Six, the Marlins got off to a tough start. The Cubs scored a run in the first, sixth, and seventh innings. And on the flip side, the Marlins could not touch Mark Fryer. It was three to nothing Cubs in the eighth. And Chicago's win probability was at 93%. And you've probably all heard the story about, you know, the Cubs heading into that, into that game. I think the, uh, I think the guy singing take me out to the ball game said root, root, root for the champions. It was uh, a tough scene and the Marlins needed a rally to uh, save their season. That's a fair ball down the left field line off the bat of Pierre. He'll make the turn and post into second base with a one-out double. Again in the air, down the left field line. A reaching into the stands and couldn't get it. He's living with a fan. Gonzalez is trying to just make this play a little too quickly. This is an easy play. You're just going to second to get one out. Get right off the heel of his glove. Hammered down the left field line, and the game will be tied up. Scoring is Castillo. Scoring is Rodriguez. It's a 3-3 game as the frustration ends for Derek Lee. In the batter. In the air, right field. Plenty deep enough, you would assume, to get Cabrera home. So to the catch. The throw will come to the plate, and the Marlins have taken a 4-3 lead. The break they needed on the ground ball that went through the legs of Leon Durham. They scored four more times to win the game and win the series. 
That ball hammered into left center field on the run. Alou on the run is Lofton and it's off the Ivy. Three runs are going to score on a double by Mordecai. A seven run Florida eighth inning. And Juan Pierre the batter. Lined in the right field, a base hit. They're going to wave around Mordecai. He will score. It is an eight run Florida eighth inning. So the Marlins with a miraculous eight-run eighth inning to take an 8-3 lead and win that game handily. A couple of things before we get into game seven. Mike Mordecai was the guy who pretty much uh, put the dagger into this game with the three-run double into left field. That name might sound familiar, and it is, because Mike Mordecai was a member of the 1995 Atlanta Braves, one of the first teams that we covered on this history series. And one thing I pointed out during that series is that in an interview – with Mordecai after he had a game-winning hit in game two of the National League Division Series. He had a quote that said something to the effect of, I don't want, I don't need to be a household name. I don't care if I'm not a household name, but I want to be a champion. And I took that as a challenge to make Mike Mordecai a household name and list out some of his more impressive stats of that season. So now that he's back, I think it's only fitting that we do the 2003 Marlins edition of making a household name out of Mike Mordecai. Here is uh, one of the more impressive stats for his season uh, in 22 plate appearances when he was batting late in a close game like that one, his slash line was 444, 500, 833 with a 1333 OPS and also two home runs. So Mike Mordecai wasn't shying away from the big stage this season. And just one more thing. Can we just talk about how dumb it was that Steve Barbin had to put up with all that for 13 years? Yeah. I mean, what's the likelihood let's, Let's imagine that play happens in 2020 and there's no one in the stands. Like, what's even the likelihood that Moises Alou makes that play anyway? Not, e not only that, but, like, it's only a big deal because he made such a big deal out of it, which, I, you know, like, I can't – I guess I can't really say I blame him. Like, sure, you're upset that you couldn't make a play that you could have made. But point is, if Steve Barman wasn't there, someone else was going to interfere. Like, there were six other people around trying to catch that ball. Yeah, he just happened to be closest to it. There were like six other hands. Yeah, and he had to deal with absolute hell for 13 years. Like he couldn't show his face in public. He had to like quit his job and leave the area. Like it was bad. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, Alex Gonzalez could have made that play too. Yeah, and yeah, they could have allowed less than eight hits in that inning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, on. the Marlins ended up winning that game 8-3. to three. So now, on to Game 7, the best two words in sports. So Juan Pierre, Juan Pierre is the best two words in sports, not Game 7. But Juan Pierre <laughs> led off Game 7 with a triple. And Pudge Rodriguez also walked with one out. And this brought up Miguel Cabrera with one out and two on. If the ball hits you, you are not out. In the air, deep left center field, and the 20-year-old Cabrera has given the Florida Marlins a 3-0 lead in the opening inning. An 
two pitch went for the triple a one two pitch goes for the home run. So with this uh, three run home run, it was quickly three to nothing Florida and the Cubs quickly tied it in the second on RBI from Damian Miller and Kerry Wood, uh, an unlikely uh, suspect. And it was a brand new ball game. The Cubs took the lead in the bottom of the third on a Moises Alou home run, making it five to three Chicago. And in the top of the fifth, uh, after two of the first three Marlin batters reached via walk, Pudge Rodriguez had an opportunity with runners in scoring position. Hammered down the left field line. It'll go to the warning track. Ballou able to cut it off. One run scores. They're going to hold up Castillo and an RBI double by Rodriguez who has a base hit in every postseason game this year. 16 runs batted in. So, Pudge Rodriguez makes it a 5-4 to four ball game. And the next batter was Miggy, and he tied the game on an RBI ground out. And after that, Derek Lee had had a chance to give Florida the lead in this one. with no power, a guy that you have to go after and make him hit. A missile in the right center field off the bat of Derek Lee, and the Marlins have recaptured the lead at 6-5. So Derek Lee takes the lead to make it 6-5 Marlins. And the Marlins had the lead, and they would get another run in the sixth in the form of a Luis Castillo single to make it 7-5. Seven to, seven to five. And the next inning, Alex Gonzalez was up with two on and two out, looking to insert the dagger. Broken bat flare in the short left center field. Lofton coming, dives, does not get it. Conine scores. They're going to wave around the next runner. It is Conine behind Roll. Throw down to third. And Gonzalez is out. He slid by the back. Two-run score. And the Marlins open a 9-5 lead. So as you heard it, a 9-5 lead for the Florida Marlins. And after Josh Beckett pitched Four smooth relief innings. It was on Ugath Urbina to close it out for the Marlins. The stars were aligned for the Cubs to erase that 58 with a three games to one lead. But Beckett and the Marlins shut out the Cubs in game five. They scored eight runs in an improbable eighth inning last night to beat Mark Pryor. In the air, left field. And the Florida Marlins have come back from three games to one down to win the National League pennant. 
The Florida Marlins, for the second time, are going to the World Series. What an amazing story. So the Marlins win the pennant. They are headed to the World Series through many comebacks, many lead changes. They get it done. And Pudge Rodriguez won National League Championship Series MVP, slashing 321, 424, 607, 1031 with two home runs, 10 RBI, and five walks. Jeff Conine was also spectacular slashing 458, 500, 708 with a 1208 OPS with a home run, three RBI, and four walks. Miguel Cabrera slashed 333, 394, 633 for a 1027 OPS, three home runs, six RBI, and two walks. Mike Lowell contributed as well with two home runs, three RBI, and three walks. And Juan Pierre was doing above average offensively with a 797 OPS and Josh Beckett was very good as well pitching at 19 and a third innings pitch along with a 3.26 DRA and 19 strikeouts in those 19 and a third so now they're on to the fall classic and they were facing the New York Yankees they had taken down the Barry Bonds Giants the Sammy Sosa Cubs now they're facing the Bronx Bombers In game one of the World Series, the Marlins got off to a quick start as Pudge hit a sack fly in the first inning. In the bottom of the third, when the Yankees were threatening, a run was already in, and Hideki Matsui was up with two on and two out. A 1-1 to Matsui. Throw down the third, and Johnson is out. What a throw. A signal was given between Rodriguez and Lowell, the third baseman. They were ready. Nick Johnson was not. And on that, the third inning is over. The Yankees get a run. Two outs, really no place to go. But watch Mike. I mean, how is that even fair? That's that's scary as a base runner. For those who aren't watching on YouTube, Pudge Rodriguez threw a gun to nab a guy at third who was taking a little bit too far of a lead. And uh, it ended the inning, ended a threat. And in the top of the fifth, the Marlins had the first two batters reach in Conine and Encarnacion. And after a bunt ground out, Juan Pierre came up with two men in scoring position. Infield is in, second and third, one out. And a line drives a base hit into left field. One run scores. They're going to test the arm of Matsui. The throw's cut off. Everybody's safe. And it's 3-1 to one Florida. They had a shot at Encarnacion at the plate. And why Boone cut it off? Whether Posada told him to or not, we don't know. But Boone cut it. And Pierre got back to first. Say where. So a big hit by Juan Pierre, putting the Marlins up 3-1 to one in the game. And after Dontrell Willis relieved Brad Penny for two and a third innings, Ugeth Urbina got the save, and the Marlins won game one, three to two. But now going on to game three, this one, it got out of hand quickly. The Yankees were up four to nothing after the second inning, mostly thanks to a Hideki Matsui three-run home run. 
The Marlins also struggled against Andy Pettit in the game, and the Yankees ended up tying the series as they won game two by a score of six to one. So now going down to South Florida for game three in the first inning, Juan Pierre led off with a double, and later in the inning, Miguel Cabrera had a chance to drive him in. Cabrera fights it off to the right side, and the Florida Marlins take the lead in game three. You can see Soriano with two outs. So Miguel Cabrera with a World Series RBI is just a 20-year-old. And Josh Beckett also had a strong start in game three, but he walked in the tying run uh, in the third. And simultaneously, no one was able to hit Mike Mussina. The game went into the eighth with a one-to-one tie where Beckett departed after giving up a double to Derek Jeter. And Dontrell Willis later gave up a go-ahead single that put the Yankees up two to one. In the ninth inning, Aaron Boone led off with a home run but the Yankees weren't done. After Alfonso Soriano and Derek Jeter both reached base, Bernie Williams was up with two men on. Williams hits it to straightaway center field. Pierre back at the wall, a leap, and it's gone. A three-run home run for Williams. And that opens it up here in the ninth inning. It's six to one. Nineteenth career postseason home run for Bernie Williams. So Bernie Williams puts the game out of reach, and the Yankees win their second straight game by the score of six to one. Ironically enough, more importantly, they were up two to one in the series. So the Marlins needed to win Game Four, or else they were going to be facing a second three-one deficit. So in Game Four, the Marlins' offense—they only had two runs in as many games previously, and they needed a pick-me-up. So after Pudge hit a two-out single, Miguel Cabrera had a chance to salvage something against the Rocket. So for Roger Clemens, our wow. Going for 20 at 41. If he wins this game, it will be his 20th win of the season. And that's that we were alluding to Sandy Koufax, not since Koufax. Now another one up and in to Cabrera. Cabrera giving him a stare. Roger Clemens, 21 years older than the right-hander. One on, two out. One ball, no strikes. The 20-year-old waits. One ball, one strike. And a late swing, strike two. Now he sits and watches as Clemens misses with ball two. And a 2-2 to Cabrera. That is foul. Into right field. Back is Garcia at the wall. Home run, Cabrera. 2-0 Florida.
So Miguel Cabrera takes Roger Clemens, who is twice his own age, deep in the World Series. And the Marlins kept going after this home run. And Derek Lee stepped up with a chance to drive in yet another run. Left side base hit it 3 nothing. We're going to be up now. Five straight two-out hits. So the Marlins get their third run of the first inning, already scoring more than they had in the previous two games. Uh, and they were well on their way to a, a good game in game four. And Carl Pavano also dealt in this game. He went eight innings pitched, allowing just one earned run. And in the ninth, the Yankees had the tying run at first and were down to their final out. And ripped into the right field corner. That may tie it. In to score is Williams. DeLucci coming around. He'll score. It's a 3-3 game with Sierra at third. Acquired in June from Texas. So Ruben Sierra hits the game-tying triple against uh, against Urbina, and the game ended up going to extras once again. Thanks to some flawless relief appearances from Chad Fox and Braden Looper, the game went into the 12th, where Alex Gonzalez led off for the Marlins. Down the left field line, that ball is trouble. It is good! His first home run of the postseason. So the Marlins win the game in the 12th inning on the walk-off home run by Alex Gonzalez, breaking out of his postseason slump. The Marlins tie up the series at two, and they bring all the momentum into the final game in Florida that year. So... Let's go to game five. The Yankees jumped out to an early 1-0 lead on a Bernie Williams sack fly in the first. And in the second, the Marlins induced back-to-back two-out walks for last night's hero, Alex Gonzalez. No balls, one strike, two on, two out. And that's into right center field. New bat and all. It's going to plug the gap, and it's going to tie the game. A ground rule double. Lee will go back to third. It's 1-1 here in the second. What a break for the New York Yankees. So Alex Gonzalez ties up the game, but the Marlins did have a tough break as the ball hopped over the wall, preventing a second run from scoring. And even more unfortunate, the next batter was the pitcher, Brad Penny. Frustrated when that ball hopped out of play. Here's Penny. He grounds it into right center field. Two runs will score. And the Marlins have taken a 3-1 lead.
So Brad Penny gets in on the two-out clutch action, making it a 3-1 to one Florida lead. And later in the fourth, Juan Pierre came up looking to add some insurance. Runner at second, two out. Pierre, a base hit to center. Another run for the Marlins. They lead it four to one. Into second is Pierre with an RBI double. So the Marlins were up big in game five with a four to one lead, and they would add another two runs on a Mike Lowell single in the fifth. And despite a late comeback attempt by the Yankees, it was not enough. The Marlins end up winning six to four, and they went into New York with a three to two series lead one game away from a World Series championship. So now in game six, it was a pitcher's duel throughout the entire game throughout uh, between Josh Beckett and Andy Pettit. And they were both dealing. In the fifth, the, Marley, the Marlins rallied for a couple two-out hits like they always did. And this put a man in scoring position for Luis Castillo. Two strikes, two on, two out, no score in the fifth. Line drives, a base hit into right. The throw home by Garcia to the plate. Safe. Touching the plate and putting the Marlins on top is Gonzalez. One to nothing Florida here in the fifth inning. What a terrific slide by Gonzalez to the outside edge of the plate. But if you're blocking the plates, you don't have this problem. Posada's out in front of the plate on the throw. The throw is right on the money. And more major league catchers are doing this, staying outside and trying to reach back, even though So Alex Gonzalez with a great slide on the Luis Castillo base hit to capitalize. The Marlins were up one to nothing. And in the next inning, the Marlins set up two more runners and, Encar and Juan Encarnacion had a chance with men on the corners and one out. a little flare into right center field. Garcia will make the grab. Tagging his Conine. Coming to the plate. It's 2-0 Florida. So Juan Encarnacion puts the Marlins up 2-0 on the sack fly. You notice it's 2-0 after 6. Because meanwhile on the mound, it was all Josh Beckett. How about Josh Beckett? It's hard to believe that he was the losing pitcher in game three because he was bested by Mike Messina. He has never worked on three days rest as a starter. Beckett with hits as a breaking ball has him frozen. Knees buckling one out. Matsui could put the Yankees out in front. Into right field, shattered bat, and Encarnacion ends the inning. On the inside corner, 94 miles per hour, one out. There's the 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Ground ball to second. Castillo out, out. Double play, and out of the inning is Josh Beckett. A one-two pitch. Posada strikes out, and that's strikeout number four for Josh Beckett. Beckett blows a 97-mile-per-hour fastball past his bat. And, of course, Beckett 
In for strike three, strikeout number six for Beckett. Making these Yankee hitters look bad as he goes through the lineup time after time. Got him. Two out. Inning over. Another strikeout for Josh Beckett. Round ball. Castillo. It comes up for him. Four, six, three, double play. Trying to win it all again. Posada, slow roller right side. Beckett picks it up, tags Posada, and the Florida Marlins are world champions. The Marlins have stunned the Yankees, shocked New York, and this improbable team, improbable ride, they end up on top, winning in six games over the Yankees. For the second time in franchise history and the first time since 1997, the Florida Marlins are World Series champions. They go into New York to defeat the Yankees after also defeating the Giants and the Cubs. Chris, this was such an improbable story, and they made it happen in such an improbable way. Yeah, they uh, they defeated some some Giants, you know. Well, literally, they defeated the Giants. And then, you know, the Yankees pretty much – still kind of in their dynasty they beat them in six yeah i mean i was going to point this out this is the third team on the list to have be, to have played the yankees in the world series they're the only team that won any games in new york uh yeah the diamondbacks and the padres padres yeah neither of them won games in new york yeah and it's yeah crazy that the, that the diamondbacks were still able to win exactly Josh Beckett, as you can imagine, wins World Series MVP. He went 1-0, should have been 2-0, but it was 1-0 with a 110 ERA, 16 and a third innings pitch, 19 strikeouts. Actually, it should have been 1-0 because if they if he got the win in game three, game six would never have happened. Yeah, that's true. Carl Pavano did a great job. He pitched nine innings, earned, gave up one earned run, and only had one walk. And Brad Penny went 2-0 in the series with 12 and a third innings pitch and a 219 ERA. The best bat for the Marlins was Juan Pierre, who slashed 333, 481, 429, and 910 with three RBIs, five walks, and two strikeouts, which was uh, – it's funny because if you look at this series on paper, it looks like the Yankees should have won it. Like the Marlins had like a low fives OPS during the series. The Yankees had like a mid-sevens, and the Yankees also had a better team ERA. Uh, the Marlins were just so unbelievably clutch. They got hits at the most convenient times every single time. They strung together a bunch of two-out hits at random times. They did everything they needed to when they needed to. That's kind of the legacy of this team. Yeah, and it's kind of what they—it's uh, kind of what they had to be. You know, they weren't as—you know—they clearly weren't as you know talented on paper as the Yankees were, and you know that's what makes these small market teams able to win World Series. You know, we look at like the 2015 Royals. You know, they did have a good system that produced good players but they still needed to be uh clutch when they needed to be clutch you know same with like the 2001 diamondbacks and you know it's it's shown here with the 03 marlins team that came out of pretty much nowhere and uh they you know they didn't necessarily outperform the yankees in that world series but they they were able to win yeah 
So getting more into the legacy, this team came from literally nowhere. Like nobody had the Marlins on their radar before the 2003 season. I, I couldn't find any like actual websites talking about, you know, 2003 MLB predict predictions because it was so long ago. But I yeah. found some like random online forums from like March of 2003 talking about like, who do you think is going to be in the World Series? Nobody mentioned a word about the Florida Marlins, not even making the playoffs, not going to the World Series, not winning the World Series. They did all of that. Yeah, I, I would like to take a look at some of those forums. Yeah. And uh, they went through so much adversity during the season, including literally a manager switch. Like they fired a manager and won a World Series in the same season. Yeah, this is the first time we've covered a team like that, right? I, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And like they just did everything in the most exciting way, like I mentioned. I mean, like not only did they have all the clutch hits, the clutch moments, but like, you know, Pudge holding onto that ball and going crazy after the final out of the NLDS. Like that is electric stuff. Just the celebrations after every big hit, of which there were many, the comeback against the Cubs, the walk-off home run against the Yankees, Josh Beckett coming through every single time when they needed him. It was such an incredible team to watch do their thing every single night without fail. Yeah, super, super exciting. Like that's what the clutch teams are. You never really felt like they were out of it. Exactly. Um, so does that close the book on the 2003 Florida Marlins? It really does. Well, I don't really have to introduce what's happening here. Tell us, what team are we going to be talking about? It is crazy. We have gone through 29 teams. We are down to just the last one. Uh, I, don't need to, I don't need to sugarcoat because if you know the franchise that's left, I think it's pretty obvious to tell which team is left, which team it is from their franchise. I always kind of envied this team because they kept Barry Bonds away from a World Series title, but so did the 03 Marlins. And next week, we're going to be talking about another team that had a rough start to their season, the World Series champion, 2002 Anaheim Angels. Yeah, this team had Darren Erstad, they had David Eckstein, they had the rookie season of John Lackey. Yeah. They, they had Tim Salmon. Troy Gloss. Troy Gloss. Uh, Troy Percival. Yeah, big-time big closer mm -hmm. over there. Um, who else? I can't, I can't really think of anyone else. Off the top of my, my mind, head. always blanked when when thinking of names. Yeah, for those. Uh, yeah, that's it. We have gone through, you know, we have exposed every player and team that was on our lists when we made them back in around this time last year. Yeah, back in uh, back in yeah, mid eight, like beginning of April ish. Like it's, I cannot believe it. I really cannot. Yeah, it's it's wild that it's been a whole year. And we're we're almost done. We yep. are literally 29 down, one to go. We have we have gotten two outs in the tenth and we're one out away from winning. That's correct. Yeah. That's uh that's true. And like, yeah, I guess the player is I guess it'll be a it'll be a fly out or a ground out. You know, I'll get a strike <laughs> on the guy with Walter Johnson and then They'll swing it a bad 0-1 pitch yeah. uh, again when they go to the Angels episode. But yeah, uh, that's that's the last team we're talking about two weeks from now, mm -hmm. not next week. As I always and we get into some actual baseball. Yeah, we will. It's going to be fantastic. So we hope you enjoyed this episode.
If you're listening on just Apple Podcasts or Spotify, join us on the YouTube channel and watch the videos with us. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Also on the YouTube channel, when uh, when it's all over, I'll, I'm going to make a chronological list. I'll, go, I'll have all the teams in chronology, like from 1988 Dodgers to 2019 uh nationals and nice. then i'll have the i'll have the players in chronology with from like Hannes Hannes wagner, wagner to albert pujols Hannes wagner to albert pujols so if you want to experience the history series like that i think it's pretty interesting so go to you go to the youtube channel for all that also if you want to follow us on social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore gianta follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio to get all the show updates. And we hope you enjoyed our 2003 Marlins episode. And we hope to see you next Tuesday, where we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be previewing the National League East. And next Thursday, where we're going to be talking about Walter Johnson. See you then. <laughs>